0: with guest host, Jane Brown. Libby
1: is on vacation, so I will be joining you for the next week here on Fight Back. Well, it is the hot topic of the week so far. The plan by the Ford PC's at Queen's Park to allow symptomatic testing of COVID-19 in participating pharmacies across the province. Until now, antigen and PCR tests have been offered for a price in drugstores, but only to those who don't have symptoms of COVID-19. Now, with a plan plan to provide symptomatic testing in pharmacies, there is a concern that those who are COVID positive could pass along the virus to other shoppers in the store, especially seniors, the immunocompromised and children 11 and under. This is a significant change in strategy, and you likely have questions. The phone lines are open, 416-360-0740 or 1-866-740-4740. Joining us to help navigate the changes, Justin Bates, CEO of the Ontario Pharmacists Association. Justin, nice to talk to you
2: again. Uh, So happy to be back on with you today.
1: Let's work backwards before we move forwards. Uh, What have pharmacies been allowed to offer until this point with regard to COVID testing?
2: Yeah, that's a great uh, launch start uh, where we are today because back in September 2020, we initiated with 211 pharmacies across the province an asymptomatic PCR testing program. And that eligibility criteria for what is publicly funded Uh, so it's free to the uh, individual, uh, has changed. Uh, One of the things that was delisted last year was travel. So pharmacies will offer travel and other unfunded services through um, working directly with manufacturers to procure the tests and and offering that on a private basis. So there's sort of a two streams to this, uh, but we have been involved in both rapid and PCR testing for some time.
1: And, and in terms of the cost, it, it's much cheaper for the antigen test than for the PCR test.
2: That's right. Yeah, it's um, you know on a per test basis, uh, and even the test kit itself is more cost effective. But the PanBio, if you want to use that as an example, the Abbott PanBio is more of a screening tool versus a diagnostic molecular test, which is the PCR test. So that's the gold standard. There is a rapid molecular test as well, which has an analyzer, doesn't require lab uh, results to be shipped um, uh, and so forth. And it's called uh, rapid ID now. So there's different modalities of testing, but uh, each bring a different level of sensitivity.
1: Give us a sense, Justin, of how many pharmacies in the province have been offering these types of tests.
2: Well, there's 211 that are part of the public program, and we've been advocating to increase that for better access to testing and to help protect our communities. In the private space, uh, there are thousands of pharmacies that are offering that um, at different uh, levels for travelers and for others uh, as well, but mostly in the travel marketplace where that's still required up until today. Uh, to uh, go into the u s or other destinations that that's been largely the private market.
1: So now, if an individual has come into a pharmacy that is has been offering asymptomatic testing and they come in with mild symptoms, have they been turned away?
2: Up to now, yes, because there is an assessment and screening process that ensures that the individual is asymptomatic. but we are relying on honesty of the individual and what we can visually check uh, and examine with that patient. Um, undoubtedly, and we look at this across all parts of retail, there are people who are going in to shop at hardware stores and going into restaurants who may or may not be vaccinated in some cases. Um, restaurants require vaccination, but going into retail, let's do not. They may have symptoms, they may not have symptoms and be positive. So there is a risk profile today Um, We mitigate that by putting in all of the safety measures, abiding by the IPAC protocols, putting in the proper ventilation for optimal airflow, PPE, things of that nature. And we've had a very low incident rate of any staff or patients or customers getting COVID today in any of the locations. Not to say it's nil, but, but you know, very hard to prove where someone gets it. But our infection rate is very low, and that speaks to the measures that have been put in place and how safely we're doing it today.
1: Okay, so for the vast majority of people in Ontario, they have yet to be tested. Uh, They have not experienced the testing process. So you've explained for us that until now, participating pharmacies have been offering tests, various types of tests uh, to people without symptoms. People who have symptoms go to COVID testing centres, right? That's, That's what they've had until now
2: correct yes
1: and they don't pay
2: no the public testing centers based on you know eligibility criteria it's, uh, if you're having so many symptoms uh, it's a free pre-service today.
1: All right. So uh, I'm speaking with Justin Bates, CEO of the Ontario Pharmacists Association, as we make this transition to allow for symptomatic testing of COVID-19 in Ontario's pharmacies. Uh, Give us an idea of uh, how this is going to be rolled out. How will individual pharmacies be able to get involved or not get involved if they choose to? And then what is going to be uh, implemented in terms of a additional safety precautions uh, to ensure those who are being tested remain safe and those who are in the store already are also safe?
2: So let's start with the the fact that this is a voluntary opt-in program. So we're expecting about 1,300 pharmacies that will participate in the program once it's implemented and expanded into this symptomatic testing program. And that's about a quarter of the pharmacies uh, across the province. Um, each of those pharmacies will undergo an assessment, a risk assessment on whether or not they can adhere to the IPAC protocols. That's the infectious protection and control measures that they need to put in place. Having a proper space and square footage to be able to do this in a separate room or area. To be able to manage the traffic flow of people coming in in an appointment-based only scenario. Uh, putting a sign out in front of the store so that people can make an informed choice that they will know that this is a pharmacy that offers COVID testing. They will look at their staffing levels and capacity, and they will have conversations with all of their pharmacy teams to make sure that they're comfortable providing the service. Because if they're not, then we need to make alternate arrangements um, and look after them so that they're not forced into a scenario of testing. So there's a lot that goes into this in terms of preparation and obviously procurement of PPE, appropriate PPE with the right kind of face mask, um, the appropriate uh, goggles and gown, um, much of which we do now with uh, giving vaccinations, but it's an enhanced protocol and ensuring we have HEPA filters and ventilation in the spaces that uh, we're doing the the tests. We're also going to offer this in multiple modalities. So in some cases, these 1300 stores won't be doing in-store testing. They could use their premise; could be the sidewalk, the parking lot, outdoors. There's also a drop-off, take-home, and drop-off element. Um, as we've seen in the education space, many education workers are getting test kits. This will also give them another distribution point to drop them off, and then we would ship those samples to uh, to the lab for analysis. So you know, lots of options. Um, and it's not for everyone based on, you know, what they have in their layout of their store and, and how they've implemented uh, the services.
1: Okay, that is that is helpful information because we were hearing yesterday that this testing would not be taking place outside, but you're saying that might be the case. Yeah, so the final
2: details uh, we're, we're still working through. And, and until it's formally announced, we won't know all of the mechanisms. But we are encouraging that flexibility in the language of how guidance would be set up so that if you have uh, that ability to do some outside testing, uh, we think that we know outside testing is safer Mm -hmm. uh, because of the ventilation, but we also know uh, that it can be done safely indoors. Some community labs do that as well as the testing centers. Some are in drive-through. So there's different modes that have been put in place in order to do this. And whatever we do, we'll make sure we do it to ensure the safety of the staff, customers, um, patients, uh, and anyone else.
1: Justin, before we get to the phones, we do have callers that want to get in and ask questions uh, because this is a big change, allowing for symptomatic testing of COVID-19 in pharmacies. Uh, The rollout, uh, I guess that's one of my questions too. How soon will this be happening? Do you know?
2: Well, we are making uh, preparations. Um, There is an onboarding process to make sure that once the government makes the formal announcement and provides all the detail that we're ready to manage the demand of people coming in with appointments and so forth. So, because calls will happen immediately, as we've seen the vaccine rollout, as soon as uh, announcement happens. I don't know the exact timing. That's something that we'll find out from government in the coming days.
1: And if you're looking for asymptomatic testing and you see on the door that the pharmacy you go to is providing symptomatic testing as well, what? Um, at what point would you know whether you would be in the same room as people with symptoms, uh, you know, in a, in a successive sort of way, um, or if you would be in a different area being tested?
2: Well, it will have to specify very clearly that it's symptomatic testing. And we are shifting the strategy from asymptomatic to sim- symptomatic testing because there's such a low positivity rate. Uh, I think it was 1.4% for asymptomatic that this is a more targeted approach for those that uh, would be eligible with a number of symptoms, Um, particularly during the cold and flu season when your child might be home and you can't go to work. um, uh, Getting timely access to a test uh, would be very important to validate that it isn't um, COVID. And the vast majority of cases are going to be even those that are symptomatic, will be false, will be negative, right? And yes. we see that. We have 600 case count right now, I think, or thereabouts. Um, you know, the, the percentage of people that actually have COVID is quite low, and I think we need to factor that in. Even if you have a cold or something that you might think is, uh, or close contact, doesn't mean that you're positive. But um, that, that's uh, how we're, we're setting it up, and uh, the, the focus will be more on the symptomatic side.
1: But will you be allowing for asymptomatic testing as well?
2: I think that's to be determined uh, and will be covered in the government announcement when they go through all the details.
1: Okay, yes, because the Premier did comment on this yesterday based on the information that had been leaked out of Queen's Park, but the official announcement still has to be made. Uh, Doris in Etobicoke wants to get in on the conversation. Doris, go ahead.
3: Hi, I'm just actually visiting my folks um, up in Sault Ste. Marie. They're ninety-four. And I was just going to try and get a test for peace of mind. Is there one you'd recommend? I'm just I'm using Porter Airlines.
2: Justin, uh, you have
1: some thoughts on that?
2: I think there there's multiple options out there. There are rapid tests. Um, now, if you're going to the U.S., as an example, on a travel, they have to look at where your destination is. They accept a rapid antigen test, which is available at multiple pharmacies for a cost of approximately $40. Um, some places, if you want the gold standard um, and uh, you don't qualify for the public program uh, to be free, then uh, PCR test can run you anywhere from 100 to 200 dollars, depending on where you go. You can go to a lab. There's some community labs that offer it pharmacies as well. So, but, but Doris uh,
1: is Doris is staying in the province. She just wants it for peace of mind.
2: Yeah, I would say the screening test of a rapid uh, panbio test is all you need. Um, that's what's most common, and you can get that at a pharmacy.
1: Okay, Doris. I appreciate that. Thank, thank you, you for calling in. And if you have a question, the numbers to call are 416-3600740, toll free, one eight six six-seven forty-four seven forty. Justin, before I let you go, and the information has been really helpful, thank you. Um let, let's talk about the efficacy. We just you touched on it there about the antigen test, the PCR test, and and the one other test. In terms of how effective they are, um what are the percentages?
2: Great question. Don't have that at my fingertips in terms of the exact percentages, but in in a general sense, um, the rapid antigen test is a uh, basically looking at whether or not you have a current infection, and it would be not as accurate as a um, as a PCR or a rapid molecular test like a rapid uh, ID Now test. Um, so. We consider that a screening test, um, in terms of rather than diagnostic, right? So if you were to get a positive result from a rapid antigen test, the next step would be to go and get a PCR test to confirm or validate the results. Um, okay. they all have high sensitivity rates, like they're in the 80s and 90s. So it's not, we're not talking about uh, low percentage, but I'd have to follow up with the exact percentages, but the PCR remains the gold standard in terms of being diagnostic uh, in uh, high, very high sensitivity rate.
1: We're going to continue this conversation about testing in pharmacies, uh, the move to symptomatic testing in pharmacies uh, with Dean Miller here in just a moment. But Justin, thank you so much for your time today. It's been
2: my pleasure thank
1: you justin bates is ceo of the ontario pharmacists association jane for libby and dean miller is here pharmacist dean miller president and ceo of whole health pharmacy nice to talk to you again dean did we lose dean okay we'll get him back here in just a moment you know it's interesting um if you haven't had to go for a test, you may be completely unaware of where, it, when you need a test, where would you go for the test? Up until now, if you have symptoms of COVID-19, you would go onto the Ontario website, the Ontario COVID website and enter your postal code and you would get a list of assessment centers that are close to you. You go there, uh, and you get your test done free of charge and that's where the numbers come from every day when we hear the the tallies and how many people have been diagnosed with COVID over the last 24 hours and the percentage positivity rate. So if you have 30,000 people going to get a test and, uh, you know, the positivity rate could be 1% if 300 of those people do test positive. So that's what we've been hearing all the way through this pandemic. Uh, now, uh, that symptomatic testing is being expanded to include participating pharmacies and pharmacies until now have been offering asymptomatic testing as Justin Bates was just telling us about there in various fashions and various costs. So now this symptomatic testing will not have a charge associated with it if you go to a pharmacy. It's all brand new. Again, our phone number is 416-360-0740 or 1-866-740-4740. Dean has joined us. Dean Miller, President, CEO of Whole Health, a pharmacy. Good to talk to you. Hi, Jane. So, how has this been working for you, Dean? In your um, well, you've got about 125 outlets, right?
4: Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, we've got 125 outlets. Not everybody tests. I mean, I just want to make sure, sure everybody right. knows that that right. yeah, it's kind of yeah a little bit hit and miss. So you you know, listeners have to you know search out exactly the pharmacy because uh, you know. You know, you don't want to go, go there expecting the test and, you know, nobody's, nobody's given it. Mm-hmm. But most pharmacies, uh, do some degree of testing. I heard Justin talk about rapid antigen tests. Uh, a lot of pharmacies do that.
1: Okay, and so how has that been working out for you at your stores? I mean, do you typically are people honest? They come up, they come in without symptoms. Uh, they're looking for a test for their work or for travel, uh, and, you know. And have you had scenarios where people with COVID symptoms have come in trying to get a test in the pharmacy, which has not been allowed until now?
4: Well, we we certainly have had you know people that have come in and and you know they've. Yeah, you know, every everybody fills out the screening form, and I think everybody's pretty familiar with that now. And and they ask the questions about cough and fever and and the the COVID, the COVID symptoms. I mean, I think quite honestly, not everybody has been 100% honest mm-hmm. with that. Um, but uh, uh but i think for the most part people people understand the pharmacies have been there for asymptomatic testing uh up to now uh we've had a ton of people that have come in for purposes of travel uh you know that have visited pharmacies and of course that's a paid service uh but you know um, now we're we're kind of moving into this new phase of symptomatic testing um, so it's going to be Quite different for us. A lot of the same precautions, but 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 certainly quite different from a perspective of of, of um, you know the people coming in our doors.
1: So let's talk about of all your stores, how many are now going to offer symptomatic testing, and what is the process involved uh, to be to begin doing that? I mean, how long will it takes take, and how and what needs to be set up?
4: Well, for the most part, there's not a lot of change that needs to happen. I mean, the the pharmacy group that 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 I run is is mostly independent pharmacies. So there's smaller pharmacies than you know your typical Rexall or Shoppers Drug Mart you might you might uh, you might visit on a more regular basis. But there's smaller pharmacies. We've got about uh, one third of our pharmacies will be participating. So that's probably a good telltale sign of sort of how many generally we'll be doing it. So about one out of every three pharmacies will be participating in the program. Like I said, we've, we've had, you know, we've been doing this now for about 14 months for asymptomatic patients. So, you know, most of the precautions are there. I mean, there's, there's a few things that we've got to do different around, you know, uh, segregation of, of, of people and ensuring, you know, that there's probably a little bit more, uh, you know, separation between the regular uh, patients that are coming into a pharmacy and where the testing is going to happen. But it's not an unsurmountable challenge. You know, we've, uh, like I said, we've been you know, hard at this now for 14 months, and, uh, you know, I think pharmacies have been doing a pretty good job with it.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, and the Premier said it yesterday, and so many of us, Dean, have received our COVID vaccines in pharmacies. I got both my first and second doses in pharmacies, and um, would be happy to get my booster in one as well. So it's been such a huge part of the COVID vaccine rollout. It only makes sense as long as there are precautions in place to be able to offer testing for those who have symptoms, because it may not always be easy to get out of work and, and to get to a COVID assessment center. So I th- right. I think, right, the, the more places there are to get the tests, the better we will all be.
4: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, um, for, for seniors especially, I mean, you know, Coming into your local pharmacy where you probably have a relationship with the pharmacist or the staff already, um, you know, gives you that extra degree of comfort that you're, you're going to a safe spot. And as I said, we've been doing this for 14 months already. Um, you know, every pharmacist is armed with, with PPE. I mean, uh, you know, most have protective plexiglass barriers up. You know, most pharmacies have counseling rooms that are going to be utilized for, for this task, um, to, you know, separate people so that they're, you know, they're going into a spot that, that's, that's 100% safe and, and well, let's say 99.9% safe. Right. And, and, uh, and they can feel comfortable that, that, you know, the pharmacist and the pharmacy staff, uh, have taken all those precautions, cleaning PPE, uh, you know, separation of, 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 you know, people from where the testing is going to happen to, you know, where they're perhaps, uh, you know, interacting with the pharmacy staff for, for their prescriptions. So, so yeah, we're, I, you know, I think we're we're set because we have been set for a, a long time now, 14 months. So, uh,
1: that's some good reassurance. Uh, before I ask you my final question, uh, and it might catch you a bit off guard, let's go sure. to Daryl in Toronto. Daryl, you have a question, concern? Go ahead.
4: Actually, a couple. Of, I'm finding a little confusing here. Uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, in the summer, I had a slight headache for a couple of days. And I don't usually get headaches, so I went on the government website and I went through all the symptoms, and I all of them were no except the very last one. you got a headache. I checked to go get checked, which I thought was kind of a, a bit ridiculous. But I went to the hospital and got got a test. Now I'm not sure it was the one with the nose swab. I'm not sure which of the two tests that was. Um, also, my other question being, uh, is, uh, if you get this test, is that good for travel purposes to show in places?
1: Okay, so <laughs> well, Dean, Dean, part one of yeah. that at the assessment center that would have been a PCR test, right? Correct,
4: correct. Okay,
1: yeah. and then for travel, there are various options depending on where you're going.
4: Yeah, okay, it's so all about where you're going. Could be a rapid antigen test, you know, uh, if you're if you're going to the U.S. or something. But certainly coming back to Canada. You know, we've heard a lot in the last little while since the borders have opened about, you know, you might even have to get a PCR test before you leave to go into the U.S. for, you know, a day or two and, and, then, and then re-enter Canada. Although so, we, we
1: just heard, Dean, uh, from Bob Comsick in the news at noon that they're doing away with that. The Trudeau Liberals are going to make an announcement on Friday that oh, if, okay. if your trip is shorter than 72 hours, you don't have to have the test. Oh, okay. So that's yep, good that's news, news. To me,
4: I didn't, yeah. I didn't know that. It's so, brand okay. new. <laughs> yeah. Uh, two, more, two more quick comments. Yes. Um, could this not, are, are the symptoms the same that you're saying in you screen people for symptoms? So like if someone comes in and says, ah, I've had a bit of a headache. Yeah. They get the test for free.
1: Uh, yes. Good question.
4: And they yeah. can use it for travel. Yeah, I mean that's oh, I mean, not gonna present a problem. No,
1: that's okay. that actually, Daryl, I'm gonna let you go and you can listen on the radio. Okay. That was going to be my final question as well, Dean. How will you get around those individuals who say they have symptoms but actually don't to get a free test?
4: I you know, the simple answer is I don't know if we do. <laughs> you know, quite truthfully. I mean, a lot of this is is the honesty is the best policy uh uh uh, scenario and and you know in all cases, I don't think we can assure that, but it is the same task and and you know this is not really a travel initiative uh but you know I, quite truthfully, jane i you know I don't know if there's a way around this right. i mean uh you know other than you know going through the screening and having a conversation, but you know I think as pharmacists, we're not there to police this you know um I think early in the pandemic, a lot of you know, a lot of people talked about, you know, let's let's just get as many people tested. Let's get as many people vaccinated as we can. Um, and I think we'll probably follow that rule of thumb through this new testing initiative for symptomatic patients.
1: All right. Well, we thank you very much for your information, Dean. It was a pleasure to chat again. Thanks, Jane. Pharmacist Dean Miller, President and CEO of Whole Health Pharmacy. Jane for Libby and still to come. This segment is for you if you or a loved one has COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. On this World COPD Day, expert Henry Roberts joins us and will take your phone calls. The numbers are 416 740 or 1
0: you're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby's Nimer on Zoomer Radio with guest host. Jane Brown.
1: Libby is on vacation. In Canada alone, some 840,000 people have been diagnosed with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or COPD. In fact, an estimated 384 million people worldwide, 384 million people have COVID or have, (laughs) yeah, I'm so used to saying COVID, have COPD, which is the third leading cause of death globally. If COPD has affected your life or someone you love, please give us a call to share your story or to ask questions of our expert. Numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Henry Roberts is a member of the Executive Committee of COPD Canada, and he joins us for the half hour here on Fight Back. Henry, nice to have you with us.
5: Hi, Jane. Can you hear me?
1: I can hear you just great.
5: Oh, great. Thank you.
1: Yeah, yeah, thank you so much for being on with us. Uh, Let's talk about what leads to
5: COPD. Well, the primary cause of COPD is smoking cigarettes. Um, There are a number of people who get COPD who are non-smokers, but they may have been uh, influenced by secondhand smoke. By, uh, industrial pollution. They could be heating and uh, and cooking with wood, which uh, uh, off offloads air- airborne particulates. Uh, but the main cause of COPD is cigarette smoking.
1: You you would think at least in the Western world, uh, with fewer people smoking, that the incidence of COPD would not be as high. Is this uh, as a result of third world countries still not uh, embracing non smoking?
5: Yeah, that's part of the problem the global uh, the global problem. In Canada, we're seeing a bit of a flattening out of uh, the incidence of COPD, but the big concern, of course, is with people. Uh, switching to vaping and and e-cigarettes so we've kind of done a very good job not kind of we've done a very good job of uh wrestling c- cigarette smoking to the ground but we've got this thing kind of rising up on the horizon so so you know
1: do other forms of smoking vaping uh smoking marijuana c- can they also lead to copd
5: they can they can there's not a lot of good uh, uh, scientific evidence of that—it's—it's uh, it's more anecdotal, but uh, we're pretty sure that they do—they do lead to lung damage, whether it's uh, COPD specifically or not. I can't say.
1: Today is World COPD Day. Uh, maybe tell us a little bit about the history of how we've come to have a special day to acknowledge COPD.
5: Okay, well, uh, COPD Day was uh, launched by uh, the Global Initiative for Chronic Obstructive Lung Disease. They go by the acronym GOLD. There are many GOLD standards in the care of COPD, and so they create the materials that uh, then other associations like COPD Canada would use so that we're kind of all the uh, global lung associations, COPD associations have the same theme. So this year's theme is healthy lungs, never more important. And uh, we're also involved with uh, an international collection of of COPD organizations. And we have launched our own uh, separate campaign that's called Speak Up for COPD. And there are links to all of this on our website, uh, COPDCanada.info.
1: How do people live with COPD? Or maybe let's back up a little bit. How is it first diagnosed? How do you know that you may be on the edge of being diagnosed with COPD?
5: Okay, typically what happens is that people have, well, they realize that they're becoming more and more short of breath. Now, COPD affects an older population, uh, and a lot of people... Explain that shortness of breath by getting older or being out of shape when in fact it's COPD starting to present itself. Many people have an event. So they are running across the street and they, they become so short of breath that they begin to panic and they end up in hospital. Uh, the diagnosis of COPD is through a breath test called a spirometry test. So if, uh, if even if a GP says that you you suspect you have COPD, you should ask them to send you for a spirometry test. That's the kind of gold standard of diagnosis.
1: And what happens from there if you test positive?
5: If you are diagnosed, okay. What in an, in a perfect world you would be um, uh, provided with uh, in, inhaler therapies and sent to a pulmonary rehab facility. At pulmonary rehab, you'll be introduced to exercises that can help you with your breathing, uh, diet. You will meet other people who are also going through the same journey. And, uh, and you can, through the course of exercise, rehab, and medicines, you can slow the progression of the disease. There is no cure for CLPD. But you can manage the conditions.
1: So it cannot be reversed, That's but it correct. can be slowed down from getting worse. It
5: it can, yeah.
1: Now, you mentioned about smoking is the leading cause of uh, COPD. If you smoke, are you guaranteed to get COPD, or is it partly genetic?
5: Uh, well, there is a genetic aspect to COPD. It's called Alpha 1.0. Anti-trypsin deficiency, and there is an association that's totally focused on alpha-1. The alpha-1 people, these are people who are very susceptible to getting alpha-1 emphysema as a result of smoking. They don't have uh, the same kind of uh, lung protections that we have. There's a missing a protein, I believe it is. But uh, there is no uh, absolute that if you smoke, you will get COPD But a lot of smokers do end up with emphysema, which is one of the forms of COPD. Mm -hmm. The second large category of COPD is chronic bronchitis. In the case of emphysema, what's happening is that you're destroying uh, your alveoli, the little air sacs, and we have millions of them in our lungs, and they lose elasticity. So it becomes very difficult to... Exhale in particular. So, if you can imagine um, uh, blowing up a, a typical balloon, and the elasticity of the balloon pushes the air out when you when you release it. Now, imagine blowing up a typical uh, Loblaws grocery bag and releasing it. The air doesn't like naturally come out; right, it seeps out, and that's a similar way to look at emphysema in the lungs chronic bronchitis which is the other large category is an inflammation of the uh, of the lining of the bronchial tubes and they uh, you know they become less very inflamed and uh, they produce a lot of mucus and phlegm which you try to cough up but uh, it's been described to me people with the chronic bronchitis form of COPD they wake up they feel like they're drowning uh-huh. in their own phlegm Wow. So these are very serious conditions, and and they really have to be managed properly.
1: I'm with Henry Roberts. He is on the Executive Committee of COPD Canada, and he's joining us here on Fight Back for World COPD Day. And we welcome your calls. If you are living with COPD, if you have a loved one, to share your stories. If you have any questions of Henry Roberts, the number to call is 416-360-0740. We also have a toll-free line, 1-866-7444. Seven forty, Henry. What's what is your personal connection to COPD?
5: Okay, well, I'm um, I'm actually from the, the publishing business, and one of my best friends, who is in the advertising agency business, uh, was diagnosed with emphysema. This was seventeen years ago and so she contacted me and another friend who was in publishing and and then and, and noticed as soon as you get a disease you try to do research on the disease anyway at that time there was really nothing there were no associations in canada totally focused on copd so we started copd i'm one of the co-founders we start copd canada to provide information for people and also to create a community of uh, COPD patients from coast to coast, using the internet to knit them together. And anyway, so, so you know, I have a very personal tie-in to this in that I watched Mary go from diagnosis to death over the course of 13 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also we, uh, we were involved in the uh, creation of a support group at Toronto Western Hospital, and they had been extremely helpful in getting the association off the ground. So
1: and Henry how did your friend Mary how did how did she live during those 13 years was i mean you talked about waking up and feeling like you're drowning in your own phlegm was she i mean was a lot of her life uncomfortable and desperate as a result of the disease
5: Yeah at the well she quit smoking upon diagnosis she she had to actually described leaving Toronto Western Hospital and giving a pack of cigarettes to a homeless person. And she complained. She said, you know, I just bought that pack, too. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, so we. I watched her, up, you know, up front and personally, go from having a bit of a jump in her step. She was a bit breathless to the slow progression downward. It's a downward spiral. She was an exacerbator. So she would get these things, with her, well, as exacerbations, the medical term for it, but people call them flare ups or lung attacks. And every time you experience one of those, you're, you, you never come out of it the way you went into it. You're always worse off. And, uh, she was a very nice looking woman and uh, was totally resistant to being on oxygen. So she fought that off in spite of the fact. She was getting worse and worse and worse and more breathless. She did not want to go on supplemental oxygen therapy because once you kind of start that, um, you're going to end end with it. And uh, so that again, I you know, she exacerbated. She started having mini strokes, which is a comorbidity of COPD of very little oxygen in your blood, so you start to stroke out a bit. So then she would uh, end up at the rehab clinic here on. We used to be on Broadview, um, and to get back to kind of normal. Well, yeah. And, Sorry, carry on. Yeah, and so so the, the end result is she actually died of a heart attack. But um, but it's all driven by the fact that she's not getting oxygen into her system.
1: I'm sorry for your loss. Um, and it, it's interesting how, um, these diseases, COPD, it's World COPD Day has, you know, her life uh, has inspired you to help others. I'm with Henry Roberts, member of the Executive Committee of COPD Canada, and we have him till the top of the hour. So if you have any questions about how to live with COPD, um, after the break, we're going to talk about some rehabilitation, how to make life easier. Um, we want to hear from you. 416 740 toll-free, 866 740 740. We're right back.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Nimer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown.
1: It's World COPD Day, and joining us to talk about chronic obstructive pulmonary disease is Henry Roberts. He's with COPD Canada, and uh, your stories as well are welcome. Let's go to Hope in Coburg. Hi, Hope. Go ahead.
6: Hi. I have one you haven't mentioned. It's bronchiectasis not bronchitis and it's chronic and i cough up muck and um i've done all those tests and um i'm a good walker but nobody's ever heard of this one and i can go into great coughing fits and people think i'm going to choke and die and this was discovered i was coughing up blood and they put a scope down and and the Uh, it's a doctor that does respirology. She says, it's bronchiectasis. And I said, well, where did this come from? I never smoked. Mm. She said, it can just come. So what do you think of that one that no one's ever heard of? Henry?
5: Well, I have heard of it, but uh, it's not within the catch basin of of COPD. Um, Also, the, the people in the support groups will also have pulmonary fibrosis which is another lung condition that is not purely COPD. So, but if you're seeing a respirologist, that's the top of the of the, the care list of people to, to, to be with. So I assume you're in very good hands.
6: Yeah, yeah. it's just, um, they said, if you cough up blood, which happened three times, and I end up in emergency, don't bother coming in if it stops. So if it keeps oh. bleeding, you can come in. So mm-hmm. it's like something you got to live with, and everyone thinks I was a smoker. And
1: do you take medication?
6: No, no. Nope.
1: So there's nothing you take for this. No. Nope.
6: And every time they listen to my lungs, or they say it sounds like seawater down there.
5: Yeah, and do you know? Hope have they given you any indication as to what it's how you got it? No. No. Nope. And there and there's no therapy so they're not giving you bronchodilators nope, or nope, anything like
6: nope, that. No. Nope. Wow. It's it's just a, a lot of my, and I can't stand being around perfumes and uh, mm. stuff like fabric softeners.
1: A- any yeah. ad- any advice for Hope Henry?
5: Well, to to keep stay away from triggers, we've yeah. uh, actually written about the negative impact of perfumes and and, uh, you know, household uh, uh, ingredients for COPDers, they too yeah. are uh, really put off by heavily perfumed environments and the like. So, you know, right. you, you, you should keep track of what, what these triggers oh, are yeah. and avoid them as best you can. <laughs> yeah.
1: Hope, thank um, you so thank much you for so calling much. in. Keep breathing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thanks for calling in with your story. All the best to you. Yeah. Four one six three six zero zero seven forty toll free one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. A big push of COPD Canada. Henry is on pulmonary rehabilitation. Tell us about that.
5: Okay. Well, uh, the pulmonary rehab is is probably the top non pharmaceutical intervention that you can can get. And uh, you know, going back to your COVID comment, the, the COVID is basically shut down or limited all of the pulmonary rehab facilities or most of them across the country now we're starting to see a little bit uh, uh open up we have actually just profiled the quebec lung association and they've opened reopened the rehab but they've limited the number of people so they have more classes but fewer people and you have to be double vaxxed, and you also have to uh, be temperature tested before you can go into it and they're one-hour sessions so um, uh, the Toronto Western Hospital pulmonary rehab facility which is an excellent one uh, they have not yet op- reopened I was speaking to them the other day and they're hoping to reopen to for only the most critically ill um, lung lung disease people and uh, that's in January and February. But it, again, the classes will be curtailed and a small attendee. There, you know, thank God for the internet. There are now uh, supervised online pulmonary rehab and exercise programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one we send people to is uh, actually run out of uh, Quebec, out of uh, Recipe Plus. But the, uh, the website is www.livingwellwithcopd.com and they have uh, excellent online uh, pulmonary rehab programs. They have self-management programs, uh, so I highly recommend that uh, people go to that website.
1: Okay, living uh, for more inf- yeah for more information, livingwellwithcopd.com. Um, Henry, we have yeah. uh, we have our bank of phone lines here, and they are all jammed with questions. Let's go to Mauro in Vaughan. Go ahead. Hello, hi. You're up oh, next hi. on Fight Back. Go ahead.
7: Hello, oh, hi. Uh, so I have COPD, and I take three puffers a day. I take uh, Bree, and then I take Spiriva. Yeah. and then there's the blue one. Just they say my doctor says it's good. It opens up your lungs. But you yes. know when I go oh, down good. like to do something, let's say uh, to pick up something, if I stay there more than a couple of minutes, like I'm done. I come up and I'm looking for air.
5: Yeah, uh, like,
7: well the blue one the blue ones are because, rescue I mean I gain a lot of weight through okay. the years. I gain about a good 30 40 pounds. Oh boy. And I, I don't know if well it, it it's probably of the cause too. What do you think?
5: Well, I think as we get older we're all gaining weight, aren't we? We're getting a bit sicker in this uh the, the isolation because of COVID. Has uh, put on some pounds. That's for sure. But
1: is that a side effect of the medication, perhaps?
5: Well, uh, the the only one I know for sure that puts on weight is prednisone. And uh, we've we've a number of our members have had lung transplantation operations. So you end up on pre Well, if you have an exacerbation, a lot of uh, emergency rooms will give you prednisone and a uh, bronchodilator dilator and an antibiotic. But the prednisone which is a pretty strong corticosteroid. One of the side effects is is weight gain. Uh, One of the uh, lung transplant members who I interviewed, uh, he referred to his his face as he's got prednisone cheeks. And it's, and it's true. Like, I've, I've interviewed four double lung transplant patients' members, and they all have this kind of puffy face. So so I guess the question is, if you're taking a Codacorteroid, does that no. itself cause uh, weight gain? And I don't know the answer to
7: that. No, no, I'm not taking that. No, I'm just taking the three puffers, like I said. I guess you heard of Spareba. You know what I have I
5: a spiriva to... spiriva yeah it's called it's called a lama long acting muscarin yeah. agent it's yeah. anti-inflammatory. So
1: so Moro are, are, are you looking um, are you looking for additional assistance? Is your quality of life okay? Not bad. Um, no, so no, I...
7: it's, not, it's not bad, you know. But like if I want to, let's say, go for a walk with my wife and walk faster or whatever, I'm in trouble. Right. You know, not in trouble, but I got to slow down and sure. keep breathing all the time. You know, I mean, I'm sure that if I lose weight, it will help. Yeah, for sure I, you take, I, you also, take your- I also take thyroid pills. So I think, I mean, it's not an excuse, but I think since I've been taking these thyroid pills, I did gain like some weight. But, okay. you know, do, do you take your rescue inhaler with
5: you when you go for a walk? No, I don't. I, I think you should.
1: Oh well, there's some okay. advice that could be helpful. Yeah, uh, yeah
5: Thank you. I've oh. uh, w- one member who uh, who likes to walk but can't walk, so she will take a puff of her rescue inhaler right. to enable her to go around the block. Right.
1: Thank you, Mauro. Thanks for calling in. Let's go to Janice and Whitby. Janice, go ahead.
3: Well, hi, Jane. I'm, I'm a first time caller.
1: Oh so. well, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you. Um, I just want to share that, that my husband suffered from COPD, um, and emphysema, uh, was a heavy smoker for many years. In 2009, uh, had 20% of his left lung removed. Um, it was successful. He didn't have to take cable radiation. And about a year later, he was diagnosed with pulmonary fibrosis. And so they, I, they don't have a here yet. They don't know what causes pulmonary fibrosis. Uh, he did stop smoking um, four years before he died, but it's a horrible way to live. Mm-hmm. And you know, you know, I just like to say to people out there: if you are a smoker and you get COPD, please consider trying to give it up. Because I watched my husband suffer, and when you can't eat and breathe at the same time. Um, and he was only 71 when he passed away. Um, that's all I can say, you know, uh, they
1: can not say
3: for sure that the COPD led to the pulmonary fibrosis, but they all sort of all tied in together when, with the lungs and the scar tissue. Um, and it was very, very sad.
1: Thank you. I know it took a lot of courage to call in. Really. Thank you for your message. You're hopefully getting through to a lot of people out there.
3: Well, I hope so. You know, I mean, the only reason he quit smoking is because he went to the hospital and, nurse, you know, read him the riot out, scared him, and he never picked up a cigarette again. So He, he know, tried, right? He tried he to tried, get better, yeah. yeah. He, he, he tried, but...
5: It's very difficult to quit smoking, but it's very important that you do.
1: All right, Janice, thank you for calling.
3: Just, just like that, but thank you for letting me share my,
1: my experience. Sorry. Thanks a lot. Nice to talk to you. Let's go to Maria in Toronto. Go ahead, Maria.
8: Oh, hi there. Um, I'm just calling. I'd suffered from COPD for a long, long time. <coughs> Excuse me, but thanks to my doctor, um, the inhaler that she we tried different ones, and the last one that I've been on had increased my breathing capacity by ten percent. Okay. So I got better with this inhaler, and I carry an emergency inhaler with me because I find when it's really, really cold outside, the cold affects my breathing, or the heat.
3: Yeah. But
8: otherwise, my life is terrific. Oh, that's good. That's a that's a good that's good to hear. I know it just it scares me when people talk about dying and things like that which I'm the opposite, because I really did. I quit smoking in 1999, and as the doctor says, if I had kept smoking, I would have had emphysema.
5: Yep.
8: So I'm glad I did when I did, and thank God to my doctors. I'm having a good life now. No problem breathing.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate you calling in. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's a nice way to to end our conversation, uh, Henry, Henry Roberts uh, with COPD Canada. I guess, you know, we've got another minute here uh, for your final messages uh, to people on this World COPD Day.
5: Well, uh, there's a, a ton of information on our website, www.copdcanada.info. You'll also see the launch of this global campaign, Speak Up for COPD, that, there as well as videos, I think you'll all become familiar with uh, the Speak Up for COPD um, uh, slogan over the course of the next year. We also, last year, we launched the uh, patient charter for COPD. My wife calls it the uh, COPD Bill of Rights. That is also on our website, and uh, I, I highly recommend you look at that because it has six basic rights for the COPD patient, the right to, you know, proper diagnosis, the right to uh, for our rehab uh, facilities, the right to um, uh, spirometry tests and so on and so forth. So um, but please visit our website and membership is free of charge and we never rent or lend our list so nobody will ever bother you if you become a member.
1: This has been really informative. Henry, thanks so much for your time.
5: Jane, Jane, thank you ever so much.
1: Henry Roberts is on the Executive Committee of COPD Canada. And we've been having this conversation on World COPD Day. Jane, for Libby and tomorrow, make sure you join us uh, right after the new news when Stephen Del Duca will be our special guest. He has a great idea to give you tax back on uh, winter tire purchases. So we'll hear about his proposal uh, ahead of next spring's election. Winter tire tax credit. That's uh, a new idea by the Ontario Liberal Party. Will it be enough for you to vote Liberal? Until then, have a good day. The news with Bob is next, and then the number one's at one.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.